You want to do some rating for us? Yes. The 1988 Winter Olympics were at a crossroad. The International Olympic Committee was, at one point, considering doing away with the Games altogether. It can be difficult to find the correct type of venue for the sporting events, and they are never as profitable as the Summer Olympics. City of Calgary in Alberta, Canada, would either be a last gasp or a fresh start for the Winter Games, and fortunately, they were a resounding success. 57 nations sent representatives to compete on the snow and ice. Katarina Witt captured the second gold medal for East Germany. Brian Boitano won gold for the United States. Jamaica debuted their bobsledding team. And an oddity from Britain, a competitor in the ski jump event. Michael Edwards took the leap to represent Great Britain, coming in dead last in the 70-meter and 90-meter events. But his story, a triumphant disaster, if you will, continues to fascinate to this day. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the story of Eddie the Eagle. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Greg, Chief Landing Judge for the RD Ski Jump event. And I'm Ella, Special Advisor to the Olympic Safety Committee here at Relative Disasters Outdoor Winter Sports. (laughs) Thanks so much for that story, Greg. We have not done an Olympic disaster before, and it is high time. Yes, and and I like this story a lot because, uh, as I said in the intro, even though he came in absolutely dead last, mm-hmm. I I would not qualify this as anything less than a triumphant disaster. We are stretching the boundary of our disaster definition if we are starting to have triumphant disasters. Well, I, I, I think it's more along the lines of he, he may have failed in the events to win. Mm-hmm. But even getting there uh, was a triumph. So You're already a winner, Eddie. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Michael David Edwards mm-hmm. uh, was born in 1963 in Gloucestershire, England. Uh, he took a ski trip, a school trip, uh, to Italy at the age of 13 mm-hmm. and fell in love with the sport of skiing. In Italy. In Italy, yeah. Because here's the thing about England. Uh-huh. Not a ton of uh, skiing places in England. Really? Yeah. They got the snow, though, right? In some parts? Eh. Just not the elevation? Eh. Do they have skis there? <laughs> not really. <laughs> England doesn't really have much of a skiing presence on the international level. I'm sure okay. that, you know, if you wanted to strap on some skis and go down a hill in the middle of winter, there's absolutely places to do that. When you think of, like, alpine slopes, you're not thinking of Great Britain. Sure. You know, now that you mention it, I don't, I can't think of anybody ever mentioning skiing in England. Yeah. Yeah, you don't, it's not a place you, you take a vacation to go ski. Well, no, I know it's not known worldwide as a ski resort, but. (laughs) Huh. Okay. So. He had a couple of difficulties uh, with his love of skiing. Thing one, as we just talked about, there's not a lot of places in Britain to ski. Thing two, mm-hmm. 
skiing is not an inexpensive pastime. No, I do actually know that because I had yeah. friends in high school who would ski and yeah. they had to spend a lot of money. The ski wax alone will... Uh... Yep. Well, you've got your, your the cost of your skis, you've got the cost of your ski poles and your special, you know, helmets and all sorts of stuff that goes into it, let alone all the money you have to pay to go skiing so right. it is it's it's not it's not a cheap sport <laughs> it's not a cheap sport and uh michael edwards was never uh anything close to wealthy hmm. in fact he he worked uh he worked as a plasterer in in britain so you know construction work yeah he discovered that you know his his love of skiing uh was not going to be enough to to get him to the level he wanted to be at. He, he really, really wanted to go to the Olympics. And what he discovered was that ski jumping mm -hmm. was cheaper to get into than downhill competition. Oh, it's faster for one thing. Uh, yes, it's over quicker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of any but other way that it would be cheaper. You don't need special skis, right? You do need different skis. Oh, okay. Uh, but you, you also, you, you're not spending as much on the various and sundry other things. So out of practicality, mm -hmm. he, uh, he decided to go into ski jumping. Gotcha. Uh, so like I said, he was working as a plasterer. He was often broke. He, uh, he re recounted a story of him trying to make a one loaf of bread stretch into a week of meals. Oh, honey. Um, he was that level of, of monetarily insufficient, but Every spare cent he could scrounge up uh, through the odd jobs that he'd take on mm -hmm. would go towards equipment and practice. Wow. So he was in it to win it. He was like obsessively I I, I don't know. I, he doesn't come across as obsessive mm -hmm. as much as he comes across as like, this is his love. You okay. know, like, you know, like uh, if you find that one thing that you just really love to do and, and for him, it was ski jumping. Mine is the banjo, um, but I've never been able to afford a banjo, so I just think <laughs> about it. So uh, he may do with a lot of loaned equipment. Okay. He did find a couple of different coaches, one of whom loaned him a pair of ski boots, and ski boots are extremely expensive. Right. And the ones that he were loaned to him were so oversized that he had to wear six pairs of socks to keep his feet <laughs> inside them. For jumping, that just doesn't sound safe. Also... Uh, speaking of not safe, mm -hmm. he, in the years leading up to his Olympic debut, he broke his jaw, collarbone, three ribs, and injured his kidney and knees. How? Uh, at, by ski jumping. I'm not sure if you're aware, but they go up in the air and then they come back down. Yeah, but you're you not don't... supposed to land on your face. No, you're not How supposed to. How did he break to, his jaw on a ski drum? Oh, never mind. You know uh, what? I don't think I want to know. <laughs> My guess would be because if you don't land correctly, all of that forward momentum mm -hmm. will go right to your face if the tips of your skis catch in the snow. Uh, okay. So Great. at one point, he had his head tied up with a pillowcase and his helmet tied on with a piece of rope to keep his broken jaw in place. Oh, oh. Oh, yeah. And he's out there skiing. With his and he's out there practicing jaw his jumps. tied onto his face with a pillowcase. Okay. Pretty much. Uh, he also weighed too much. He weighed about 82 kilograms, mm -hmm. uh, 181 pounds, mm -hmm. which is 
uh, fine for uh, a man of his height, mm-hmm. but not great if you're trying to be a ski jumper because every little bit of weight counts against you on your way out. Remember that ski jumping is an Olympic event where you're trying to gain the most distance okay. off your jump. So it's not the height, it's and the distance. Exactly. It's not the height. You don't do flips in midair or anything. You're just trying to get distance. Okay. So in order to qualify for the Olympics, Mm -hmm. you have to qualify by competing in a prior event and being your country's lead person in that event. So the 1987 World Championships were held in West Germany, Mm -hmm. and he competed in them. I found two competing sources. One said that he ended up in 55th place, and one said he ended up in 98th place out of 98 There's people. There's quite a difference between those two. <laughs> there is. I. Th- um, it may be... It may be... I mean, neither one of them sounds good, but 98th place... Well, I might also be... I might also be having trouble with... The, one of these sources is in German, and I can't figure out if it means he was ranked 55th mm-hmm. or he came in 55th place. Like, okay. if he if he came in 98th place and that made him ranked 55th in the world, mm-hmm. maybe that's something. I don't know. Hmm. But at any rate, he became the sole British applicant for the ski jumping event in the 1988 Winter Olympics. So he kind of gets in by default. He's the only one doing it. He's the best British ski jumper. Yes, he is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think yes, I got it. I think I got it. He is. just found a niche. Which we all try to do. And the thing I like about this guy Mm -hmm. is he is, like, he is not your typical athlete. Okay. Uh, He's he's very cheerful. Uh, He's very funny. He's very determined. Okay. And uh, he looks... He looks like your out-of-work uncle, kind of. Like, he's got this this look to him that is... Especially in the late 80s, it's just amazing. He's got this big, like... You couldn't call it a good mustache. A uh, big mustache. He's got a, he's got like a, it's weird. It manages to be both thick and wispy at the same time. Huh. And he has these huge glasses. Yes. Because uh, he's incredibly nearsighted. And part of the problem with having huge glasses, mm-hmm. as we all know from wearing masks for the last three years, uh, is that when it's cold. Yep. And you've got them under your ski goggles. Get a little foggy. They will fog up. Get a little fog problem. Especially at the altitudes that you are <laughs> jumping for ski jumping. Oh. So what winds up happening is he, when he gets to the jump, mm-hmm. he has to kind of hold his breath before he can go off. Because right. if he doesn't, he can't see. I love this. I just love this little part of him. He's 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 intentionally playing on hard mode, and I love it. Also, glasses back then were huge. Do you remember the glasses our mom had in the 80s? Oh, yeah. They were like face-eating glasses. They were huge. So he qualifies for the 1988 Olympics. Flying and blind. Honestly, okay. that's that's all he wanted. He okay. just wanted to compete in the Olympics. And I gotta you gotta give it to him, man. Like he's living good the dream. On ya. It, he is. He he really, really is. Okay. Uh, he's given the nickname Eddie the Eagle. Sure. Because in the words of one commentator, uh, he doesn't ski jump, he ski drops. <laughs> that's cruel because everybody that's, drops. That's a little mean. <laughs> I don't it's like that at mean. all. I feel like that's a little mean, yeah. He seems to have laughed it off with good humor. Okay. <laughs> but... Uh, he is definitely not 
really at a competitive level with everybody else. Okay. When the 70 meter event comes around, he scores uh, 69.2 points on his two jumps Mm -hmm. of about 61 meters. Now, is that good? No. Okay. It it winds him up in dead last, about 80 or so points behind the second to last guy. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, Oh, oh yes. No, Uh, the the second to last guy had more than double his score, basically. Okay. In the 90 meters, he scores 57.5 points on his jumps. And the second to last guy, again, had, in this case, 110 points. So almost double his score. So he, he just gets absolutely destroyed. And it does not deter him at all. He is just... This is what I love about this guy. He was just so excited and happy to be there. Sure. Like this wasn't a, this wasn't an ego thing. It doesn't read like it's an ego thing for him. It it reads like he was just like, I love doing this. I really want to be in the Olympics. Oh my God, you guys, I got into the Olympics. How awesome is this? (laughs) Like, it's so cool. (laughs) Like he's already won. He's just like, they're doing the thing and he's already won. He wins before he goes off the first jump. What man. a great he, he attitude. Like, okay. Exactly, right? And of course the press runs with this story and they and they like one of the things that bothered me about reading a bunch of the old articles uh-huh. was there were a lot of people who just made stuff up. They said like, you know, oh, he he he's a ski jumper that's afraid of of jumping. He's afraid of heights. And it's like no, he's doing 60 jumps a day. Yeah, he doesn't he's sound like he's not afraid of jumping. Yeah, exactly. He got injured a lot, yeah. so he he certainly had made the comment before that's like, you know, I don't want to get hurt, but it's like he's not afraid to make the jumps. They made up stories about him like not going to the gym and it's like you can't do this without training your legs. And the one that seems to really have bothered him mm-hmm. were the people who said that he was just there to get famous and like as a as a lark you know like just doing this to 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 be the guy who did it and i don't know he, he really takes exception to that he's like he trained very hard mm-hmm. he had no money at all he didn't have sponsorships mm. like he had nothing and he'd get a a, a paper company mm-hmm. gave him a couple of thousand dollars uh, a few months before the actual olympics but he was literally eating out of rubbish bins. Mm. And at one point, and this is a great story, small sidebar. Okay. Uh, he was sleeping in a mental hospital. Now, there's a lot to unpack with this one, and it's all good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> while he was training in Finland, he basically didn't have a place to stay. Mm-hmm. But he had a friend who was doing renovation work on a Finnish mental hospital. Okay. And the friend was like, just come sleep in the hospital while we're renovating it. There's nobody else there. It's fine. Nobody's going to care that you're squatting there. And uh, he actually received his Olympic qualification notice (laughs) while sleeping at this mental institution. (laughs) Care of renovated Finnish mental hospital. Yep. Okay. I love this guy. I love everything about this story. Uh, He does know how to stretch a dollar. That sounds very cost effective. He had to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And he never contemplated quitting. Mm, you know, he never, he was never like, nope, you know what? This is, this is too far out of reach. I should, I should just, I should just stop. He was just so, so happy to be there. 
And I really appreciate that because you're, you're often, you often see these athletes that are, you know, trained from childhood Mm -hmm. to your entire goal is you must make it to the Olympics and then you must be perfect. And he was just like, Nope, this is great. Um, that is kind of spectacular. I have to say, (laughs) I really love it. I really, really love it. He sounds really chill. He, 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 I don't think he's, he's, he's not very chill from all the, like there's a ton of interviews out there Mm -hmm. with him. He's very excited. He's just a very excited guy to be there. Okay. And he just does he does all the Olympic stuff. He walks in the opening ceremony. Aww. He stays for the, you know, he stays for the closing ceremony. Mm-hmm. He's he's so proud to be there and he was very proud to represent Britain. Sure. And you know there's something to be said for that. He's their first champion ski jumper. He was not actually. <laughs> really? And this is the interesting thing. <laughs> Tell me, who went before Eddie the Eagle? Who paved the way for his eagly flights? There hadn't been a British ski jumper okay. since 1928. See? Yep. And while at the Olympics, mm-hmm. he set a then British record for longest jump. <laughs> 99th in the world, but the longest British jump. <laughs> yep. It was fantastic. Well, you know, sports championships are really relative. Exactly. It sounds to me yes. like he hit the perfect niche of a country that doesn't really participate in a sport and being yep. at least adequate at that sport. Exactly. He could at least do it. Right. You know? Sure. I couldn't do it. No, I couldn't either. Absolutely not. That that record that he set at the Winter Olympics was the 71 meters that he managed to jump, uh, okay. which is... Uh, it, it, for anyone else, that would be embarrassingly bad. For him, that was an absolute triumph. Uh, that record stood for many years mm-hmm. uh, until it was finally broken by another skier representing Britain. Uh, and it is still stands as sixth on the all-time list of British ski jumpers. That's not too shabby. Not at all. He even got a shout-out. In the uh, closing ceremonies, Mm -hmm. when the president of the organizing committee said uh, he was speaking to all the competitors and said, quote, you have broken world records and established personal bests. Some of you have even soared like an eagle. (laughs) Was that shady? It sounds like it might have been a little shady. (laughs) I think it was genuine because this is the thing that jumps out to me about this guy. He is really hard to dislike. I kept waiting. I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. I kept waiting for like, you know, something dark to come out about the guy or Mm -hmm. how he, you know, did, did something afterwards that was just super sketchy with his newfound fame or something like that. Nope. He was just really, really happy to be there. All right. Now, of course, (laughs) you can't do what Eddie the Eagle did anymore. Yeah, it does sound kind of improbable. I was actually surprised to hear that this story was from the 80s. I thought it would be like from the 30s or 40s. Oh, yeah. From like the 40s or something. Yeah, no. Uh, The International Olympic Committee instituted a new rule which requires uh, people who want to compete in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. They have to... They have to be in the top 30% or top 50 competitors, whichever is fewer, okay. in other international events, hmm. right? Which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, this rule has become known as the Eddie the Eagle rule, uh, which is pretty great. He failed to qualify for the 1992 Winter Olympics uh-huh. or the 1994 Games. He attempted once again to qualify for the 1998 Games. Uh, but failed. How old was he at that point? 
He would have been in his uh, 40s. That's an excellent question. 1998. Let me do the math here. If he was born in 63. He was born in 63. So he would have been like 30, 35. That's not Oh, okay. That, I was thinking. That's not terrible. Yeah. So he would have been 35. That's not terrible, but that is very old for a professional athlete. Yeah, you know? I feel like most of them are in their as, 20s, little babies. 20s, little yeah. Baby athletes. As those of us over 35 know that uh, your body immediately starts falling apart. Hey, we've got a lot of wisdom, um, though. It's true. Hard-earned wisdom. So... Uh, His Olympic time, however, was not over. Mm -hmm. The 2010 Vancouver Olympics saw him return as one of the torchbearers, which I thought was really great. Was he skiing Um, with his torch? He was not. He was running with the torch. That is what they traditionally do. (laughs) Well, he seems to be quite a quite a rule breaker. So I don't know. Yes. Yes. He might have. He might have asked if he could ski with them, but maybe there wasn't enough. Stuff on the Maybe road. they said, Eddie, you need both hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he he's also done some really interesting stuff afterwards. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> he may be the only British Olympian to also have a hit single in Finland. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> is this also recorded <laughs> this at the mental story. hospital? No, no. Uh, he recorded a single in Finnish, mm-hmm. although he does not speak Finnish. Well, uh, I mean. he learned he learned the lyrics phonetically, and this was not a minor uh, a minor song here. This reached number two on the Finnish charts. What was this song about? Now I'm extremely curious. I, I don't know. I don't know. I've listened to the song. I don't speak Finnish. Uh, the English translation of it is "My name is is Eddie." Okay. Um, he also went and got his law degree in 2003. No kidding. That's unexpected. Yeah. He went from plastering so, to Olympian championship yep. to uh, to the law. The law. Yep. Okay. What kind of um, law did he specialize in? It does not say. Sports does law. Does not say. Personal injury. He also did some interesting ski jumps mm-hmm. over over the time. He competed in a charity ski jump in Dorset, England, raising money for the Children in Need charity by jumping over 10 cars. Oh, that sounds like evil right? and evil. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit, but it was great. And he made it over all 10 cars? And he made it over all 10 cars. Yay! His life wasn't... Amazing. After that, he did. He he certainly became much more financially secure. Okay. However, he put uh, all of his money into a trust, mm-hmm. and uh, the trustees. Well, the trust went bankrupt, and the trustees had mismanaged the money in the trust, Aww. and he was forced to sue them. And what uh, was probably a couple million pounds in this trust uh, wound up being about a hundred thousand pounds. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, but he still enjoyed having a second career as a motivational speaker. Sure. One of those sort of, you know, if I could do it, anybody could do it. You know, to be honest, I think I would probably pay him to tell me his secret. Right? <laughs> I would I would give him some cash to come sit here with me and just be like, Eddie, talk about yourself. <laughs> could we go over the skiing? Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a film was made about his life. I was just about to ask when his film yes. career got off. 
Uh, I don't think he actually has a cameo in the film, which he probably should have. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the film, Eddie the Eagle, came out in 2016, starring Taron Egerton and Hugh Jackman. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Taron Egerton plays Eddie the Eagle and Hugh Jackman plays his coach. Okay. And uh, apparently it's it's quite good. And uh, he says the only exception that he really took with it was that... You know, obviously they they push together facts and people to make everything more compact like you do for a a, a movie about somebody's life. And he says the one thing that that did kind of bother him was that in the film, the Eddie character doesn't show up to the opening ceremonies because he'd stayed up late drinking too much. And uh, and his response to that was basically like, no, 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 no. I was my entire life was leading up to the Olympics. I didn't miss a second. Yeah, that doesn't sound like Eddie, does it? No. Apparently, he even went and, like, sat in the stands to watch other people, like, during their events. Sure. Like, he was there, man. So, um, the 1988 Winter Olympics were notable for one other uh, important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the last Winter Olympics for the Soviet Union and for East Germany. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Eddie the Eagle's story uh, resurfaced not too long ago. Mm-hmm. In the 2000 Summer Olympics. Now, the 2000 Summer Olympics saw the competition in the 100-meter freestyle. Mm-hmm. A man from Equatorial Guinea, Eric Musambani, mm-hmm. had a time of 1 minute 52 seconds, which is the slowest time in Olympic history. However, he won his competition because the other people competing against him had false starts and were disqualified. Interesting. Okay. And Eric Musambani was nicknamed Eric the Eel. <laughs> and his uh, and this this uh, swimming time set the Equatorian national record mm-hmm. and still stands as a personal best. Hey. And of course, uh, because of his unlikely success, they brought out the uh, comparisons to Eddie the Eagle. Uh, Eric Musambani had never seen an Olympic-sized swimming pool before. Wow. Competing competing at the Olympics. So you can still get into the Olympics backwards, sort of like how Eddie the Eagle did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just... Just have you know, to pick the right bit. sport. you got to pick the right sport. In the right country. So I figure... I figure you and I... No, no, no. See, the problem is we come from a really big country with a lot of different climates. Yes. So we'd need to pick We'd need to pick a, a, a sport in any Olympic that nobody really wanted to do very right. much. Right. And I think, you know, the Olympic sports are there because competition. people want to do them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? that's true. That's true. I don't think this is going to work out for us. I, I don't think... Oh, well. We're also really old for Olympians. Yes. Yes. We're way too old to compete in the Olympics. You got to pick a niche. You got to pick a niche. You got to pick a niche. I think that's the. I think that that is the lesson that I take from Mr. Michael David Edwards. Keep a good attitude and find your niche. Have a great attitude and find your niche. Exactly. I kind of like exactly. it. Yeah. I really like it. I really, really like this story. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. After watching a bunch of interviews with this guy, where I was really expecting not to like him, mm-hmm. I, I genuinely enjoyed listening to him talk about his time. Would you say that his Olympic career was a disaster overall? I would say that the only disaster from his Olympic career was his finishing place. Hmm. You know what I mean? Coming in absolutely dead last, not not beating a single other competitor. Mm-hmm. I, I think that any Olympian would look at that and be like, God, I, d- I just don't want to be the last place guy. I think for him, 
unqualified triumph. Yeah. Right, because Absolutely. so few of us ever get to be Olympians, let alone exactly. the worst Olympian. Exactly. I think that's and, pretty and cool. And that's the thing. Okay. I think that's I think that that's a great uh, a great uh, a great attitude to take. Oh, an inspiring tale of uh, sports triumphs. Yes. Uh, to answer your previous question, yeah. he did hold the British ski jumping record from his jump in 1988 all the way up to 2001. See, that's not incompetent to me. <laughs> <laughs> it means you don't have a lot of competition, though. Right, but that's not a small jump. I mean, you would you would have to practice and train really hard just to get... It yeah. sounds to me like he's an ordinary person who really loves ski jumping and is not particularly exactly. the right shape or the right... I don't know, size to do he's it. He's not the right in yeah, the most exactly, but he's got way. absolutely the right attitude. Okay. Which I just I adore. I haven't I haven't watched the uh, the movie. I haven't seen the movie. I was I was a little worried about watching it after doing the research on mm-hmm. it. But uh, I think I might go watch it this this week. Yeah, I think uh, we need to hook you up with those Finnish pop songs and uh, the movie. Those Finnish pop songs are out there on YouTube everybody. I'm going to I'm going to butcher the titles uh Mun Nimeni on Itu and uh Edian Sivele Sivele I don't speak Finnish and neither does Edwards Where are the Eric the Eel pop songs because that's what I want to hear now I would love to hear some Eric the Eel pop songs yes I think that's fantastic <laughs> So that's that's it it's a uh, it's it's a short story. Uh, man wants to be an Olympic ski jumper. Man succeeds in becoming an Olympic ski jumper. But his very roundabout path to it uh, is worth examination. Sure. Uh, he was, you know, he was eating out of dumpsters and had to wear six socks to keep his boots on. But my God, he did it. You know, and there's there's a lot commendable about that. That is pretty impressive. I was yeah. I was not prepared to be impressed, but I kind of am in a weird way. And and this is also the same Olympics that had the I know I kind of glossed over this in the intro, but this is the same Olympics that had the Jamaican bobsled team. Sure, they also found their so, niche. Exactly. So there it is. That's the story of Eddie the Eagle. Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com, or if you'd like to shame us publicly. And you do. Why not use our Instagram, at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My sister has selected our next disaster... What's it going to be, Ella? Andrew Carnegie was not a nice man. He did not do a good job being a rich man, but he did build a lot of libraries. Okay. Uh, And he and his best friend, Henry Clay Frick, did a lot of really artsy and interesting philanthropic things. They also were pretty terrible people who caused a lot of trouble and damage. Uh, No place more iconically than in the Johnstown Flood. The Great Flood of 1889. That's what we're tackling next time. It is pretty awful. Yeah. And uh, this is a reader's suggestion. So thank you to the person who suggested this in our Instagram messages. Looking right. forward to it. All right. Well, uh, that does sound like an interesting disaster, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. <laughs>